Our scripture this morning is from uh, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, begin reading at uh, verse 11. 1 Peter, chapter 2, begin reading at verse 11. This is uh, God's word to us. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among people, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love others. Love other believers, fear God, honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if a person bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what's right and do not give give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech, must turn from evil and do good, must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those 
who do evil. One Saturday morning, a father was uh, making pancakes for his sons, Kevin, age seven, and Ryan, age five. The smell filled the kitchen. Their stomachs growled in anticipation. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. And the dad saw an opportunity to teach a lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he noted, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. The boys nodded their heads in agreement. And then Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, hey, Ryan, why don't you be Jesus? Christians are called to walk in step with Jesus. It's difficult. Even in the church, among other chosen and holy people, it's a challenge. And in the world? Well, when we follow in Jesus' footsteps, we'll likely find ourselves out of step with the world. Life in Christ yields a a new way of living. We might say... The world is not our home. Life in Christ makes us different from the culture we live in. Our new identity is found in Christ. Nobody has a, was a, a greater stranger to our world than Jesus. And as God's new people, as people in Christ, we are identified in a new way. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, Christians are often out of step with the world. We're like the Christians that Peter wrote to. We're scattered throughout a world in which many don't know God. So Peter calls us foreigners. We're resident aliens. Permanent residents in a country that doesn't hold our primary citizenship. See, Peter envisions us as a people that model one petition of the Lord's Prayer. We live on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there won't be injustice, corruption, or hostility against God or others. On earth, we regularly bump into these realities. Considering this reality, Peter says, As aliens and strangers in the world live such good lives among the pagans. What he means is, live heaven on earth. Bring the culture of heaven to the world we live in. One commentator notes, the knowledge that Christians do not belong does not lead to withdrawal, but to to their taking their standards of behavior not from the culture in which they live, but from their home culture of heaven. So that then life always fits the place they're headed to, rather than their temporary lodging in this world. To live heaven on earth, Peter instructs Christians, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Life is a battleground. Good versus evil. The spirit of God versus human ego. Our tendency is toward unbridled self-centeredness. We too often pursue our own gratification. Sinful desires focus on myself, my appetites. I regard my pleasure and need as primary, whether of the body or the mind or even the spirit. Peter says, abstain from such desires. One person invites invites us to think of it like this. Uh, Think of an animal that you really fear. 
uh, an angry rhinoceros or a gargantuan spider or maybe a slithering snake. If you came around the corner and found yourself face to face, what would you do? (laughs) You'd run away. That's how you, as a follower of Jesus, should feel toward any sinful pattern or desire that's put, that's put before you. Run away! The message translates 2 verse 11 so well. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Sinful desire puts me, myself, and I first. You'll lose your soul if you bend everything in toward your gratification. Peter's appeal directs us away from self-indulgence. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Live your life public and private, day and night, year after year, for the other. You are God's new temple dispersed among the nations. Reveal to all who God is and what God has done. You do this by chasing after the way of Jesus. I mean, think of how you would feel if you turned that corner and saw the person you love best in the whole world walking down the street. What would you do? You would chase after him or her to catch up. You would want nothing more in the whole world than to be with that person. That's how Christians are to pursue Christ in our new life of heaven on earth. Well, how do we chase after Jesus? Pursue good. Live the new way of life that's ours in Jesus Christ. Live good lives among others, especially those who don't believe. Living a good life is more than having good etiquette. The Greco-Roman world taught good etiquette. They emphasized civic virtue. It's not enough to be a good citizen. Waving the flag and singing the anthem are hardly Christian virtues. Peter calls Christians to do the kind of good that draws people's attention to God. Peter learned this from the Master. Jesus said, Let your light shine before people, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Look, we're we're foreigners in this world. Don't indulge yourself. Do good. Run away from sinful desire. Run toward Jesus Christ. The world may not believe, but when we live good lives, they might just turn with us to glorify God. And the backbone of living this good life is simple. Submit yourself. Not rebel against unfair treatment. Not complain about those who do us wrong. Despite unjust governments or abusive masters or dominating husbands, Peter points to Christ. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In 1896, Charles Sheldon, a pastor of a large, rather complacent congregation, was struck by these words from 1 Peter. A street person had entered their worship and challenged them to really live their faith. You're probably familiar with Sheldon's response to this challenge. Sheldon recommended Christians should always ask, 
what would Jesus do? Peter's answer is simple. If Jesus is our example, then we're to submit. I mean, notice the the structure of Peter's instruction. Uh, 2 verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every authority. 2 verse 18 says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. 3 verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And 3 verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way. Peter calls us to radically follow Jesus. Peter's advice in our relationships with government or amongst slaves and masters or or husbands and wives is simple. Submit yourself. In terms of human institutions, Peter tells Christian citizens to submit to authorities, even when they impose suffering. God intends to govern the earth through human authorities through kings and governors and presidents and prime ministers. Violent resistance does not solve oppressive tyranny. Rather, when we live the good, Christians show that the Lord Jesus Christ is the highest authority in our lives. See, Jesus taught his followers to love even their enemies. We serve God by living peaceful visibly good lives. Because that way of Jesus is way more revolutionary than simply overthrowing a corrupt regime. I mean, after all, history generally shows that corrupt regimes often rise to replace corrupt regimes. Christians may suffer. Christ followers may face injustice. But the pattern of Jesus shows that he overcame evil by doing good. Christian freedom isn't a license to do as we please. As the Apostle Paul says, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. We honor rulers, but only God is to be feared. Does that mean that Christians are never to oppose an unjust government? You know, honestly, that's not Peter's concern. The question Christian citizens must always ask is, does my resistance against the government serve God's purposes or my ends? When we respect authorities, we serve God's purposes in hopes of silencing any injustice. Next, Peter speaks of slaves. Slavery was a systematic, legalized form of of inhumanity. Slaves were merely property. Owners supplied just enough food, just enough lodging for the slave to work another day. But slaves could be ill-treated, physically and sexually abused, exploited in hundreds of different ways. Whether a master is good and considerate or harsh, a slave who is a true servant of God shows respect. Peter doesn't point out how wrong slavery is, and slavery is wrong. Rather, he points us toward the example of Jesus. Jesus' crucifixion was the most unjust and wicked act imaginable. He deserved only praise, and he was rejected, beaten, and killed. And so the source of Peter's thought is this figure of the servant That's assigned to Jesus, the figure of the servant in Isaiah 53, the one who brought God's saving purposes to the world. He committed no sin, 
and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus was wrong, but he didn't strike back. He didn't unleash an army of angels against those who falsely accused him and killed him. Jesus didn't let the circumstances of his life determine his behavior. Slaves may not have had any status in society, but as Christians, they're first of all children of God. And since slaves are people of God, no one can do anything to harm their life in Christ. In fact, their voluntary submission dismantles the power that slavery holds. Just as Christ's innocent death on the cross put to death sin's hold over us, a slave's free submission, his service to God, would put to death slavery's hold over him. Peter clearly teaches that the the death and resurrection of Jesus is the lens through which we're to consider any unjust suffering. Voluntary submission just may be the way that God will work to make changes. Slavery is wrong, but trusting God is number one. It's also true for marriage. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Uh, Peter especially speaks to wives whose husbands are unbelievers. Uh, The wordless witness of a wife who shows purity and reverence might just be the turning point to bring a husband to Christ. No, Peter doesn't call wives to submit because they're inferior. Peter calls them to a voluntary servanthood. They're freely given attitude of respect offered to their husbands is testimony to the fact that the lives live as slaves of God. I mean, let's be clear on what Peter means by such submission. Peter isn't talking about a woman's relationship to all men. He's only talking about husbands and wives. Women are not answerable to men. Further, it's a radical thing that Peter is even addressing women. The culture of that day had no reason whatsoever to recognize a woman. That he supports a woman in deciding for Christ, rather than sticking with the religion of her husband, is even more radical. The husband nearly always dictates the religious affections of the household. And that he encourages a wife to submit in hopes that her husband will be won over to the Christian faith is the most radical thought of all. The thought that a husband might change because of his wife is revolutionary. This way of Christ, this way of submission, never goes out of fashion. Hairstyles, jewelry, clothes, they all go out of style. Submitting as Christ submitted himself, even in unjust situations, is a beauty that's always stylish. Wives are free in Christ. And by a gentle, quiet spirit, wives clothe themselves with hope in God, even as they submit to their husbands. And about now, some of you husbands want to turn to your wife and say, See, even the preacher says you're to submit. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but Peter continues. Likewise, husbands. Remember the structure. Submit yourselves to every human authority. 
Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And then Peter says, husbands, in the same way. Husbands who follow Christ submit their lives to the way of Christ. Peter knew that husbands, even Christian husbands, were accustomed to having great authority over their wives and households. Peter clearly teaches that Christian husbands are not free to do as they please. He says, be considerate. Literally, it means according to knowledge. That is, husbands are to regard their wives according to their knowledge of God. Husbands are to consider their actions toward their wives with consideration to the reality that God is their guide. Culture may lord it over. Christian husbands bestow honor and respect on their wives. They're united in Christ. That is, they have an equal status before God. When husbands are considerate of their wives, they value their wives as persons. Wives are not extensions of their husbands. They're joint heirs of God's grace. Submission is the way of Christ. There are times in the throw of a deep difference of opinion, Christian husbands best honor their wives by saying, you're right. We're going to do it your way. And I don't want to hear another word about it. Peter has that kind of submission in mind for Christian husbands and wives. In fact, Peter envisions a servant attitude for the whole Christian community. He doesn't encourage Christians to manipulate and scheme for how to get their own way. He encourages believers to be a blessing to others. Peter is clear. Summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job. To bless. The bottom line for any relationship is this. Will the other person experience God's blessing because of the way I act? Pastor John Ortberg points to a San Francisco Chronicle column about one such person of blessing. Her name is Linda Wilson Allen. Linda's a transit operator, uh, a bus driver in San Francisco. And she loves the people who ride her bus. She learns their names. She even waits for them if they're late. She offers an essential service of hope to the people who ride bus number 45 through San Francisco. One woman in her 80s named Ivy struggled with some heavy grocery bags. Linda got out of her driver's seat and carried Ivy's grocery bags onto the bus. Now, Ivy lets other buses pass by so that she can ride Linda's bus. Linda saw another woman, Tanya, in a bus shelter. Uh, She was obviously new to the area and lost. It was close to Thanksgiving, so Linda invited Tanya to join her and her kids for Thanksgiving. And now they're friends. Linda has built this little community of blessing on her bus. I mean, think about it. 
Bus driving may be one of the most thankless tasks around. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, gum on the seats. Uh, The Chronicle gives us a clue why Linda brings blessing to each person on her bus. She starts her day at 2.30 a.m., down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. Linda, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward, says, There is a lot to talk about with the Lord. The blessing of God's kingdom can be found on the number 45 bus riding through San Francisco. When she gets to the end of the line, Linda always says, That's all. I love you. Take care. Ever had a bus driver tell you, I love you? In all things, Linda is first of all a servant of the Lord Jesus. She has the kind of attitude Paul describes in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Peter says we're aliens and strangers making our way in a world that's not our home. He expects a new way of life in us. I mean, what could be more alien to our world than crucifying ourselves? Submitting is the way of Jesus. Submitting to rulers and authorities, to bosses and employers, to husbands and wives. It's the way we make heaven real in our world. Having a servant attitude is meant to bless everyone. It may just lead the whole world to join us in glorifying God. It starts whenever you ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he were me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, your example to us is abundantly clear. You are a servant. You submitted yourself in all things. You submitted yourself to the Father. You submitted yourself to the authorities. You submitted yourself even to the point of going to death on the cross. Your way is clear. And the way of our culture resists. Does not want to have anything to do with submission. So Lord Jesus Christ, we need your strength, your courage, 
your spirit moving in and through us so that we can live your way of submission in this world. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.